Welcome to Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries. Here are your hosts, Jared and Zach. Welcome back to another episode of Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries. My name is Zach, and always with me is... Jared. Hi, Jared. Zach, you're back. I know. We did an episode without me. Just sickness and some other stuff, but glad to have us both back in the same studio. Absolutely. Jared, we had a great time at Recon. It's been glad to be back, though. Had a nice few days up there. We got to see the Boston Red Sox play. We did. We saw them get demolished. Yeah, utterly destroyed in one inning. But it was still a really good time. We got to meet some amazing people up in Boston um, for Recon. It was a true blast. But since we've been back, we've gotten to play a new game. And the game that we are going to cover this week is On Circus Grounds from Studio Stamp. Oh, yeah. Another of one of the great Dutch translated games come to Kickstarter. Definitely gives me Vandermist dossier vibes. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we're excited to talk about this game as of the recording. This game has about two weeks left on Kickstarter. So if you're listening to this, if you're one of our listeners that listens to these things right when you come out, definitely go and pick this game up. If you are hearing this after, I'm sure there'll be extra copies of this game coming out afterwards. So do not fret. You just have to wait a little bit. Yeah, we're going to jump right into it here in just a second. Stick with us. Zach. Zach. What's up? Ever since we've gotten back from Boston, you've been spacey and some weird things with your voice have been going on. Okay. I go to get some donkeys and I bang a Yui and you're acting all weird now with me? That's exactly what I'm talking about. All of a sudden you have like this Southern Bostonian accent and I don't think that you're aware that you're doing it. I've always talked like this. No, no, you haven't. And okay, let's, let's try something. I'm going to remind you of something that you did before Boston, like ask you a little trivia. Do you remember what the first murder mystery game on the podcast that we did? I remember some game that we did. that was about Harvard. was it about that? No. Okay. You remember anything else? Do you know what state that the murder happened? Yeah. It happened in Florida. Oh, are you talking about like the lovely city murder that happened? Like the killing affairs. That's what I'm talking about. But now you're not, now you're talking normal. Yeah. What do you mean? Okay, uh, tell me what you liked about The Killing Affair. Oh, it's a really great game. It's like a murder mystery. It's episodic. You have to kind of figure out what happened on that day. It's a cold case as well. Um, But over, I think, five or six episodes, you get to complete it. Really fun game. And I know that at akillingaffair.com, they have other games as well. And I think they currently have a Jigsaw one that they just created. So really excited to see that. So you remember all of that. But if I told you maybe that the next game that we were going to play was about the New York Yankees, you would say... Oh, screw the Yankees. Go Sox. Well, welcome back to Puzzling Company. We are here now in our new studio, which is the Escape Mail Studio. That's it. Same studio, new moniker. Yes. Thank you to Escape Mail. If you haven't played any of their games, you should check them out. They're fire. We've talked about this a lot, but it's one of those companies that I'm thankful exists because I feel like they onboard first-time players super well. Mm -hmm. If you play an Escape Mail game, I think you will play other games in our genre. Yeah. Well, we are going to start our first section of the show. In this section, this is kind of a fun area where we get to talk about the game that we got to play. This will be where we'll talk about our likes, what we thought about the game, 
It's also be a spot for us to do our room for improvements. Now, that section of the room for improvements isn't to dog on games or just say anything like truly mean or mean spirited. It is more just a critique of the game as well as what we thought could uh, change for future. Absolutely. So, Jared, let's get it started. I would like you to actually kind of tell the people what we thought was our first like for the game. I'm actually going to talk a little bit about the game first, if that's okay. Weird. People have to figure out what the game's actually about first? <laughs> no way. So this game is a fusion of escape style puzzles with a detective slant. But I would say the end goal of this game is your traditional deductive. Who is the bad guy? How did they accomplish? What was their motive? Mm -hmm. These are the type of questions. And then you're solving escape S style puzzles along the way. What's really interesting about this game. We're going to talk about this in our likes and room for improvements is this game kind of has you read an opening letter and then says go has kind of a root of all evil vibe to it in terms of this is an open world explore at your own will. Mm -hmm. And then you have about four questions at the end of the game that you're supposed to answer in order to earn the narrative payoff that you receive at the end. But in terms of likes, I want to start with narrative, Zach, which we're always really talking a lot about. I rather liked how the narrative, especially at the beginning and ending, played out. As we have said many times before, we work for many a different societies. Yes, crime-fighting organizations, and the one that we are working for today is the Civilian Service. Mm -hmm. And I actually like their kind of social twist that they have. It's all about um, looking back to past cold cases in order to bring about justice, especially for minority groups. Yes. So you're diving into that story with that context. And then again, at the end, you kind of receive this really strong emotional payoff at the end that fits in with the mission of what's going on. Mm -hmm. I rather liked it. How did you feel about it? No, I did really like it. It was a very good way to kind of get us into the immersion of the game in terms of what our goal was. But then also it had a good payoff. I really did enjoy getting to read the, the long letter at the end. And it made 100% sense. Mm -hmm. Like, especially as what we're about to talk about in some of these other things. I just thought it was not a complex, but just a well-told, simple detective story in a very unique time period, right? That's the other thing we should mention. This game is not a modern day story. It's the 1800s in the Dutch town of what's it? We're going to try like, from it's like Dolphson. Dolphson. And again, this game is also originally in Dutch and the Kickstarter is rebranded for English. So there's some context for that as well. But yeah, overall, narratively, very much enjoyed it. Book ended very strongly, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. What else did we really like about this game, Zach? Another thing that we really enjoyed was the physical components. There's just a lot in the box that you receive for on Circus Grounds. It's not a big box. It's pretty slim. But what came in it was a bunch of really beautifully articulated like notes, different calendars, flyers, cards, a vial, like there's at least 20 something items that you receive in this box and they're all beautifully made and they feel really tangible and they feel authentic to the time. Yes, even the paper, lot of, still a lot of paper products in this, but varied. Yeah. And I mean, and it's done well. It's not like white piece of paper. Mind you, like the first note we get is paper, <laughs> but that's modern day. Yes, it's modern day. So, <laughs> uh, but the rest is all like, 
I mean, it looks like it was the like in the 1883 to like 1910 range which is where the game exists. And so I really liked all the physical components. I liked interacting with a few of the puzzles specifically, like uh, the vile one without spoiling too much, as well as there even is a, a foldy puzzle that I am uh, was okay with. Ooh, yeah. It we, wasn't that bad. That's high praise from us, if yes. you don't know us very well. If you can pull off a foldy puzzle well, you've got us. We're involved. The last thing that we really enjoyed is how they framed the characters in this game as suspects. Mm -hmm. This game appropriately gives you old pictures of all the people that are a part of it. But that's what was so engaging is in every other modern day game that we played, the realism that is being achieved or shot for achieved for is here's suspect one, here's suspect two, here's a folder with their picture and their story, their version of the story and any evidence that pertains to that. You don't get that in this. You get some old pictures with some old writing on the back. And one of the most engaging part of the games for me, I don't know if you felt the same way, Zach, was like just trying to figure out who the suspects were because they don't tell you on on the photos. They don't give any names. And in my opinion, it, it worked well into unfolding the narrative and the characters a part of that narrative. No, I agree. Mind you, they do give you information for these people. But as Jared said, the fun part was that the photos don't directly tell you who they are. So then like you get a lot of information from their statement and stuff, and then you have to realize the connection with the photos. Yes. So there is a little bit of that, but also being honest, we, I didn't realize that the statements gave elements about each character until way too long <laughs> that we went like, you're, we were trying to figure out who's who. And then I was like, wait, this literally says insert characteristic. And I went, Oh, that makes more sense with us trying to figure out like this guy was born in 1832 and this yeah. guy was 1816. How is this clear? There's the no dad? way that's his father. Yeah. yeah. So we, we had some funny elements with that, but yeah, I, I did actually enjoy trying to make all the connections by reading all the information and then getting a more physical understanding by seeing the photos of them. It was an element that we're used to having in other crime games. Yeah. yeah. And it was taken away from this. And at first I was like, I don't like this. And then as the game went on, they proved to me like, oh, no, I actually really like this. Yeah. Um, because now I'm forced to engage my characters on a little bit of a more detailed level. And that was fun. And overall, those are the things that we really liked. Again, it just reiterating what there are narratively strong, physically, componently strong. And then just the way that the game kind of pulls it apart and the characters unveil themselves was really great. But Zach, let's move now to Room for Improvements. Why don't you uh, kick us off with one of the ones that you felt like we could start with and talking about where we felt like this game can grow a little bit. Yeah, so one of the things that I felt really strongly about was the topic or the idea of nonlinear versus gating in a game like this. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is that there is a puzzle early on that kind of requires you to do it. And I was like, okay, cool. It's a really interesting puzzle. We did it. I solved it, figured out how it worked. And then, mind you, there's no, there's nothing in the game saying, like, you can't open everything. Right. Even in the Kickstarter, it says there are no rules. There's no rules in this game. What felt frustrating was that then I immediately opened up something that we just didn't, and it felt like three different things told me the answer to the question that I just solved. So what you're saying is there was information that if you had focused on that, you could have just skipped earlier puzzle material. Yes. So... 
mind you, I did know the answer by that point. So it's really easy to go like, oh, well, like that's dumb because I knew the answer. Yes. But the argument would be like, okay, if I found four pieces of paper that say the same thing about a certain object, yeah, this is hard not spoiling it. But like, if I find some paper that says, here's the four options it could be. And then four pieces of paper I find when I open up a little binder at any, or not binder, but a little packet at any point says, here's information about this. Here's information about this same one. Here's information (laughs) about this exact same one. It feels clearly like, okay, that's clearly the item that I was supposed to like, I didn't need to do the puzzle earlier to make that connection. And I think what Zach and I would recommend for the players, not necessarily for the designers is the way that the game plays out at the end is it gives you a question and I would focus on that question Yes, and not look for information pertaining to any of the other things. Yeah, I think that did help when we did play it like that because we started off like trying to gather all the info and then we looked at the questionnaire and then just did it one question at a time. Yes. And then it made it much simpler for us to be like, okay, let's just hard focus on getting as much evidence as possible to solve question one, yes. question two, question three. While like gathering all the information, I gained a lot and then it felt like it was pointless because you did it earlier or it felt like, like you said, it basically felt like if I just waited another second, I would have found the answer another way. And And maybe that's because we've talked about this a lot when we were debriefing the game, maybe that's where we kind of felt like the struggle was a little bit is the puzzle material. Everything is given into you. Examination of stuff is all nonlinear, but the evidence or the questions that you have to solve at the end of the game are a hundred percent linear. Yes. And it felt like should be solved in that order. Yes. Or you're going to get onto information that just kind of makes you like wonder why did I have to do it? And is that your gating point that you're trying to bring up? Kind of. Yeah. I see that. I think that makes a lot of sense. That helps me process it a little bit better. That was kind of the bigger critique of these games. These next two things that we want to talk about, I think are smaller, but still important. And I'll, I'll go next. If you don't mind. Sure. I had a very difficult time in this game, reading the handwriting. Mm. Most of it is cursive. Some of it is very easy to read. Some of it is not very easy to read. Yeah. And that plays directly into getting the information to make the connections that you need. On one hand, I really appreciate it because the handwriting fits the time period. It's very, it authentic. Fits the, it's very authentic. Yeah. But I just want to be able to read it. I think one precedes the other. I think I would rather have printed typewriter letter words than cursive that I'm struggling to read. Sure. Especially on some of the stuff that is decoding or this, that, and the other. We talked about this when we were debriefing the game. I liken it to, you know, having an escape room that you can't see very well in. Mm -hmm. It's authentic to the cave theme. Let's call it a cave theme. But if I'm deciphering, you know, you know, native American or indigenous people symbols, then I want to be able to see the symbols. That's it's more important that I see the symbols than that. I experience the immersion quote unquote of the darkness of the cave. And I think one has to precede the other. And that, and I felt that a little bit in this game saying I would rather be able to read this seamlessly than experience the immersion of the cursive. Did you feel that at all? Cause I know we kind of worked on different puzzles and I was wondering if you felt that as well. I didn't feel it as much just because I feel like most of the things that I dealt with were either handwriting that I could understand, or I just felt like, Oh, I understood it enough that it didn't bother me, but I could see like one of the things you showed me clearly was more difficult to be like, Oh, is that, that, is this a P or is this an R? Is this a, like, 
okay, yeah, I can see how this would be frustrating if I'm trying to like decipher this and just try to understand the basic letter that it is. Absolutely. But I felt like the rest of it, personally, kind of disagreeing with you, I, I had no real issue with it all. I felt like it, and you said the same thing, I, it was super authentic. It felt really thematically pleasing in terms of like, oh, I really liked that it looked this way and it made sense. But yeah, I could understand that during that one puzzle you did, how it would be uh, like a hindrance. Yeah, and I think it's easily cleaned up. Like to me, it's not get rid of the cursive. Oh, no. Even though millennials and what is the current generation? Gen Z. Gen Zs and everybody else that they don't even do cursive. My daughter's going through school. They don't even do cursive anymore. I did cursive. I did cursive, you know, but I just think like a a more readable one. And and again, that could be very personal to me, but yep. that's just something I would feel. What's your last uh, room for improvement? I would say, and I feel like you would feel this more than I did, but I know we, di- we kind of discussed it a good bit, was a particular map puzzle that yes. you did. I think you'll be better talking about it, but I'll give you my brief thought about it. I felt like it's a cool puzzle, but it wasn't executed perfectly it had like an element that's kind of up for interpretation or kind of goes against what you felt like the puzzle is trying to make you do. I think that's well said and I don't want to give too much away, but I think there was a lot of room for interpretation on the execution of the puzzle because mm. it's a multi-step puzzle, one in which you're setting up what you're about to actually solve. I went through the puzzle multiple times. I went all the way throughout the hints. And once I finally got to the solution, I was able to see how I was supposed to interpret it. But I I always cling on to what Errol said when we interviewed him is, I want to make a puzzle where there's only one way of interpreting that. Hmm. In this, I feel like absolutely some people could look at it and say and get the answer that the creator was wanting. I looked at it multiple times, went through the hints, finally understood what they were trying to me do, but I don't think I was incorrect in how I interpreted it and wanted to approach the puzzle. So I think a little more clarity or specificity there could go a long way. Okay. Yeah. But overall, this is interesting. Overall, I think this is a really cool game. Oh yeah. But I want to save some of this conversation for our section, second section. Oh, okay. Because we're going to get into our feelings. Mm. Second section, Zach. Okay. And uh, we'll be right back with those feelings. Solve puzzles, write reviews, win prizes. It's time for Puzzles to the People. Hey, I just got back from the mail. Looks like we've got a new game to play. Oh, really? What is it? It's the new Escape the Crate game. Oh, I've been excited about this one. I'm personally a little confused. Okay. The title on the box just says Hood Unit. Okay, can you spell that? W-H-O-D-U-N-I-T. Oh, it's Whodunit, Jared. Yeah, and the new Escape the Crate game, it's the Escape Whodunit. It's like a classic murder mystery, but with a twist ending. I mean, agree to disagree on pronunciation, and by the way, it's twist, not twist. Okay. But what you can do is go over to escape-the-crate.com and use code PUZZLINGCO, puzzling C-O, all one word, and you'll get 25% off your first subscription order or any single retired box that they have. Well, welcome back, everybody, to Puzzling Company here. Now, remember, we're in the Escape Mail studio, our good friends up in Canada who produce really great hour-long experiences that are very approachable, very puzzle fun, all in an envelope. You got to check them out. Here in the second section, we're always very honest. We're going to try to take that to a new level today. 
in talking about and kind of gaining some insight into our process, but also how we feel or communicate how we feel about games. Cause I'm going to paint a picture for this game and Zach, you chime in with your feelings as well. And I kind of just want to flesh that out over our middle section to talk about expectations. And the title for this is like an off game, Mm. like in sports, if you didn't play really well or something just didn't land, I'm, I'm titling it the off game. If you look at the Kickstarter, if you look at all of our colleagues that reviewed this game, really, really positive things to say about this game. And I don't disagree with any of those things. No. But this game, I'm looking at the back of the box right now. It says one to four players, two to four hours. We blazed through this game in about an hour. And I don't mean that in a braggy, humble brag, Zach, humble brag, Jared, like we're puzzle masters. We blazed through it very uncharacteristically quick. And looking back at all the hints, we didn't, we didn't miss anything. No. And we got to this end of this game and Zach looked at me and he said, how do you feel about this game? And I just kind of was like, "Uh, it just felt off. Mm -hmm. The people that make this game, I don't doubt their ability to make a really good game. I think this game is going to be received very well by the puzzle community. So when I know that to be the case, when I know reputations, when I know other people, what they're saying about it. And then I'm here to form my own opinion. It's not to say that my opinion is off, but I just want, I just examined it a little bit. And I honestly, at the end of this experience in the time that we went through it, I just kind of felt off that I, that's the only way I know how to put it. Fill in the gaps a little bit with me, Zach. Like, how did you feel? I don't feel like I was amped up. Like someone was telling me like, this was the greatest game that came out this year. Da, 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 da. But I'm looking for words to fill in and talk about how we felt after this. My big thing was that in this is partially just information that you need to gather before you play a game. I had no expectation what this game was going to be. Right. Mind you, Jared gave it to me and being honest, we got in and went, this is the game we're playing today. I knew minimal about it other than the name. And then I saw it and had an idea of what I thought it would be like. And it was nothing like that. And that's not in a bad way. It just wasn't what I expected. So then when we played it, I went, okay, well, it's going to actually be like this now. And then it went that way. And I went, okay, well, because I've already changed my expectations, I went, I wouldn't say I went up or down in terms of what I'm expecting, but my, like the thought process of how I'm going to expect this game to go or how I'm going to feel about it changed dramatically. And I went, okay. Well, then we played the game, we went through it, had a good time, but then it felt like because of, you know, our small room for improvement critiques, it like hit me harder. I got really, like being honest, I got really focused on the one room for improvement I had with the one puzzle and gaining more information afterwards where I was like, oh, this is a cool game. I like all the elements, but that bothered me. And now I'm like thinking about it a lot. It makes me not enjoy other parts of the experience. Not saying like the game isn't good. Like I actually think this is a really solid game. But I mean, if you, it's like anything, if you focus on something that you didn't, maybe I wouldn't say didn't enjoy is not the right word, but like had a hindrance on your experience, it's going to bother you. It's like, I told Jared this, one of the things that made me really feel is like when I played an escape room that I feel like it's supposed to be one of the best games we've ever played. 
And because of something in the experience, mind you, if it's the game itself or it's the people you play with, you just don't enjoy it as much as like you were wanting it to. We played a few games in Boston, loved the games. However, there was one, I won't go into too much specific detail of why, because that's not, I'm not here to kind of go over that, but we played a game and I, and it was, it's one of the best games in Boston. And I was like, this is a really cool game. But when it ended, I didn't have as much fun as I thought I was going to have compared to what everyone mm. else did. And then I thought about it and I was like, okay, well, how much of this is me? How much of this is the game? How much of this is the other players in my group interacting with me in the game and how I wanted the game to go and stuff like that. And it just, you know, it felt like an off game. It was just like, okay, I didn't, this was a really cool, but I just didn't have the same feeling I was hoping I would have or what other people had in this experience I didn't have. Mm. Those are wonderful sentiments and I'm circling around a lot of them myself because I'm looking at this game. It looks great. The puzzles, except for that one that I felt like I struggled with are good puzzles, but it's something in the culmination of it. It's like you're saying you expect it to do something. Even the end, the narrative payoff at the end, I really enjoyed Yes. Like it's very emotional mm-hmm. and powerful, the the message of it. But for whatever reason, all I can do is sit back and say, if I'm being honest, and I think this is important for reviewers to do, this was not my favorite game, but I still think it's a good game. Oh, I think it's a great and game. I, it's I, just, and, it's... And, and, and worth your time. But Zach and I, when we were talking, we were having this conversation about what do you want to cover in the middle section today? We were We were looking at our, what we've covered in the past, things that we potentially wanted to talk about in the future. And we kind of just said, I think it's just in, important to clue people in on our journey as well as we review these games and our unique perspective, because sometimes you're going to have an off game. Mm-hmm. There was another game that we played in Boston. I didn't think we were going to make it out of, and we've played a lot of games and you know, our expectation is we make it out of the game or accomplish everything that we need to accomplish in that set amount of time. And it just kind of felt like an off game to me, and I couldn't really pinpoint why. So the the synopsis really of this set, of this middle section is to say, as reviewers, but also as players, from time to time, we are going to play games that just don't hit with us, that just don't connect with us for one reason or another, but that doesn't make it a bad game. I've played bad games. <laughs> yeah. You and I have played bad games, and it is very apparent from opening to close that this was a bad game and it's probably not worth our the, time. Did you say this is a bad game? No, no, no. I'm, I'm talking hypothetically uh, about playing a bad game. Sorry. I'm not talking about on circus. Grounds. I was like, what the heck? If you want me to name names, I can look in the closet and name, oh, name, name names. No. We'll be okay. <laughs> we'll be okay. But that's, that's not the case here. Yeah. And I'm more so inviting our listeners into our struggle of saying like, what do you do when you know you're not playing a bad game, but you don't connect with it? And that's hard because I feel like another thing that maybe comes into it is like, I'm going to call it peer pressure. I feel like sometimes there's a game that other people hype up so much that you feel like, oh, if I don't like it, they're going to feel like I'm doing this to be like wrong or like they'll think I did something dumb. You know, like the example I have is going see movies. You go like, okay, you and your group of friends who naturally like doing the same things, I'll go see a movie. And three of them go like, oh, this is the best movie ever. And then you go, it didn't hit with me the same. And then they all go, well, you're dumb. Or like, you clearly <laughs> missed something. And I'm like, no, it just didn't. It just hit. didn't hit. Yeah. Like, I feel like it's the same to degree. Like every game cannot hit everyone the same. It's not going to. Some games are made for different people. 
but it doesn't mean that it can't be a good, like, like I said, it's easier. I could say with like comparisons to movies and stuff like that. There's just some movies that aren't going to be your movie. Yeah. Like it's just not your thing, not your style, not your format, not your, how they video, like how, how they record it, whatever the, the reasoning is, but you can still be like, okay, that's a good movie. Yes. It's just not my movie. And it's the same with games. I mean, there's video games we've played that are like, there's so many video games I played where I'm like, someone's like, this is a world renowned game. It won the best game of the year award. And then I go, okay, it is a good game. However, it's not my favorite. I sure. like this game for whatever. And you shouldn't feel bad. And I don't think anyone really does ever feel that bad, but I know I do personally sometimes when we play a game or like I have this feeling that I don't want to upset anyone with my opinion on the game or the, or the video game, the board game, the at home game. And then I play it and I'm like, oh, well, the, it just didn't hit me as much as I wanted it to. Mm. And then I have to feel like, okay, how much of this is valid? And then finding a way to explain, like like you said, how do you explain to someone that it is a good game, but it didn't hit you as much as you wanted it to? Okay, so let's let's explore that a little bit more, taking on circus grounds off the table. Okay. Let's go through some of the other adjacent spaces and let's maybe give an example of when that happened. So I'm... I think movies are appropriate. I think board games, video games, but something that when you played it, you're like, I know this to be good, but it's just not working with me right now. So for me personally, in this category, I'm going to stick more video games. And I'm thinking of games that I know have really good reputations, but just did not land with me. So the first one I'm thinking of is Little Nightmares. Oh, yeah. Very popular game, got a sequel. There is so much to like about those games. Yeah. Do not like that game. Interesting. Tried it. One of the few games that I actually went and left like a negative review on Steam for. Wow. Because one aspect of it was just really irky to me. Hmm. That's one game. Another game. This was kind of like a viral sensation, but I don't think it's like going to be considered an all-time greatest phasmophobia. Yep. If you're not familiar with Phasmophobia, it is a team game where you are using deductive logic and cool tools in like haunted houses to like exercise a ghost. Did not land on me at all. Like just could not get into it. Was not a fan. The last one is a really popular puzzle game, a little bit older, not super old, but it's called The Bridge. Yep. Widely reviewed, great puzzle game. Do not like it. Just did not land with me. You probably might, if you're listening, might want to try all three of those games and might enjoy them greatly. But where my preferences land just did not hit with me at all. Zach, what are some of yours? So I actually have one, but not for me, but another perfect example of one we talked about in Boston actually was uh, our good friend uh, Zoli from ClueQuest. We played a game in Boston with him, which I'll talk about the game. Just I'm not going to spoil anything about the game specifically but we played a game called The Body Shop. So all I'm going to tell you is the name of the place, mm. uh, the room. Zolly had a really interesting experience with that game in terms of it's one of those games that it's very well known and it's really popular and really well done. But there is an element of the game Zolly did not like. And you could clearly tell that his whole reaction throughout that game is exactly how I would feel about that. Like a perfect way of like showing an example is like, oh, that's really a good game. However, I didn't, this part of the element just didn't work well with me. So I didn't have fun. Or I wouldn't say I didn't have fun. Like they, I think they said they had like a good time. But you didn't get the maximum amount of enjoyment that you would have. Yes. 
And it was really clear, like, that was like, I was like, oh, that's a perfect example. Mind you, I can't spoil too much of that game because I don't want to spoil that game for people. But there is just a, there's a twist to the game that they didn't like, that Zolly didn't like. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting because I could see how like, that game is really good. Like, I actually really like that game. However, because of other reasons, it had its moments of frustration, or whatever. But I was like, yeah, like that's clearly a game that is made for this type of person. And then this person clearly didn't like it. Yeah. Mind you, still a good game. Just it's not their cup of tea or it's like movies or actually, you know what? Podcasts, murder mystery podcasts. I don't get them. Not that I like think they suck or anything like that. People who love them. Awesome. Murder mystery shows. Awesome. People like them. Great. But it blows my mind how many people love that. So, oh, yeah, so man. much it's that I'm like millions of people. And then there's me who's like cool, but not. <laughs> the greatest thing to you, ever exist. You would rather just play the game. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. Cause I just, I see so much of that stuff and I'm like, that's really cool. I could see how that's really good. The quality of that podcast or that quality of that game or that show. Awesome. But so much of it is like, Holy moly. It's the same million things. And in mind, that's any niche discussion or topic is like escape rooms. Oh my Lord. How many same things the escape room does or, sure. you know, but it, it's one of those things that I'm like, okay, I could see how so many people love this, but it's just not my thing. So I'm like, it's like, cool. I'm glad they play it, but I could see how someone could love this game or this experience, but I'm not going to because it's just not my cup of tea. Right. You and, know, we've and, talked about in the past on the show with like different game genres that we like. We, I think we had a, on a, one of our episodes, we discussed like rating styles of games yes. in terms of our, what we like the most versus our least favorite. Yes. And it was funny because that's what I, I mean, that's like a perfect way to explain it sometimes is like, you'll play a great game. Like we'll play some murder mystery games that are phenomenal, really solid games. However, they're just not my cup of tea. So I just don't have as much fun as if I played something else that was more my cup of tea. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a really great point. Like all of the things that we gave examples of, you're probably listening and you're like, I love that game and that's okay. The point is not to pull away from the excellence of someone. We're more diving into the preferences and the reasons behind it. So kind of wrapping up this game, if you're out there and you're saying like, it doesn't sound like you spoke super highly of On Circus Grounds. In our experience, not our favorite. We'll be honest about it. Does that mean it's not a good game? No. If you like puzzle games, you should give On Circus Grounds a try and come to your own conclusion. Again, it's just this really weird feeling and all I can communicate is I know a lot of people will like this game. Oh, I think a lot of people are. The people who already have reviewed it really like it. The people that have reviewed it, the people that have backed it on Kickstarter, I don't think you've made a mistake. For Jared and Zach, just not a hit for us. Yeah. Yeah. But we'd love to have this conversation more with you. I'm sure there's games out there that we have played and raved about that you're like, what game were you playing? And that's okay, because the point of this is discussion and discussion moving towards everything getting better and more people finding out about puzzle games. That's Mm -hmm. what we're about. But that's really going to wrap us up for the second section. We've got questions for creators coming at you next. There are some awesome people who make the puzzles we love to solve. This is Questions for Creators. Hey everyone, Jared here. And if you've listened to the podcast for any amount of time, you know that Zach and I love to test our skills as private investigators. We've done this for local police departments, federal agencies, and we always seem to catch our bad guy. But one of our favorite companies to do that with is Unsolved Case Files. They have a really great product. Their game works through envelopes. 
Every time you solve part of the case, you open another envelope and you get to dig into even juicier and deeper details until you finally figure out what's going on. They have a great online input system for their answers. And of course, as we always talk about, a great hint system to complement it when you get stuck and you're looking for that extra nudge. Personally, we love these games because they tell great stories. Those stories have great twists and the connections that you are making to solve the case lead to those super satisfying aha moments. Me personally, I like these games because they're what I call one sitting games, which means they take about an hour to two hours and you don't have to worry about a cliffhanger ruining it if you want to get all the way through it. You're getting an entire story, an entire game every time you play an unsolved case file games. Currently, there are eight of these games out there. You can find these games at unsolvedcasefiles.com. And just for being one of our listeners, you can get 15% off by using the code PUZZLE15, all one word, PUZZLE15 at unsolvedcasefiles.com. Welcome back to Puzzling Company here in the Escape Mail studio. We are in that last portion of our show called Questions for Creators. And we actually have a pair of creators with us today that we are super excited to talk about this game and their process with. So without any more ado, here we go. Gentlemen, tell us both a little bit about yourselves, your company, and your journey of getting this game to us. We're Studio Stamp. Um, We are uh, currently three people. Mm -hmm. That is me, Yoel, me, August, or August, August, whatever you feel like naming me. And then we have Marijn, and he's uh, working with us uh, for this international Kickstarter. And for the design of On Circus Grounds, our first game, uh, we had uh, Marilou as well, but she went on to do other things. She uh, is not involved in this international release, but she was in the original release of our game, which is called Meester 1883, or Meester 1883. And that was the game that we released uh, two years ago. Two years ago, yeah. Yeah, in the Netherlands. And we sold in the Netherlands and Belgium. Yeah, so even though Marilou is is no longer a a part of our crew at this time, you can still very heavily uh, see her fingerprints on the designs she left in the game. So... Yeah, I mean, we had, th- there was a lot of uh, rework to make it more English, but it's still also a big part of it is, is hers still. I'm a game designer by trade. I, uh, I'm a freelancer. I work at, as a, yeah, for, for interactive theater, immersive theater, uh, escape rooms, uh, stuff like that. I'm a playwright, actually, uh, from, the, from the ground up. Well, I mean, mostly these days I, I write for games. I'm, I'm a big part of Studio Stamp, or Studio Stamp is a big part of me at this uh, at this point in time. But also, I've I've um, published uh, like a, a poetry book this year, so I do different stuff on the side. So we know that the game originally is in Dutch, and throughout the Kickstarter process, as well as for an English audience, you've been adapting it to English. What was that process like? One thing um, that started it for us was, okay, we want to release this in English. We we love the puzzling community, the international community. And one of the thir- first things that we wondered about and that I put a poll about on the, uh, on the Puzzling People uh, Facebook group was, okay, should we localize the story? It's a story about a Dutch circus in a small uh, town in the Netherlands called Dalfse, which nobody knows about, of course, internationally. Not um, even in the, in the Netherlands. No. So. 
So we were wondering, okay, should we change the names? We know of all the famous inter uh, American circuses. Should we set it in America in a small town, use the Ringling Bros and all the other, you know, the, the, the P.D. Barnums? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And everyone said, everyone voted no. Everyone said, no, keep it, the story in the Netherlands. We like that. It's part of your game. It's part of your story. Don't change the names if you don't have to. We changed a few names because we thought, okay, we have certain letter combinations which are hard to pronounce in English. People are going to butcher them and, well, have difficulty actually pronouncing the names, and that's not part of the puzzle. <laughs> so we changed a few names, and apart from that, we kept most most of the puzzles the same. Luckily, we didn't have a lot of puzzles that really connected with the language or were dependent on, on, on certain words or wordplay or stuff like that. Yeah, I think especially the um, the choice to keep it uh, centered in the Netherlands gave us a lot of freedom because a lot of it was uh, a lot of the designs also are based on uh, actual archival documents from the Netherlands, uh, which gives it a very authentic feel. And we'd really have to kind of redo most of that if we wanted it to feel as authentic, but also keep it in or, or place it in the United States or in the UK, for instance. I believe for uh, the newspaper article, there's a newspaper snippet in the in the game. That was one where we actually around the borders had like Dutch newspaper uh, articles from the 1880s. But for our English translation, that was the one thing <laughs> I actually went back into the archives to find like an American parallel to it, because we kind of we it didn't really just sit right to then translate those articles as well because uh, for one we only had half the sentences of those but also we run, we wanted it to feel like an actual newspaper and if our article in it was english then the rest around it should also be archivally sourced zach and i joke about this all the time but we belong to many different crime fighting cryptid seeking organizations very well versed but this was the first time that we felt like we joined up with an organization with a larger cause and we really enjoyed that, but I'm interested in why you decided to take that route. What might be interesting to to learn is that um, we started the whole project and the whole story from kind of a um, social perspective. The the initial inspiration for this story, I mean, it, it's set in a circus in 18, 1883 in the Netherlands, but the initial inspiration was the World Fair, I think, yeah, I or the World Exhibition, I guess, in, in, in Dutch, which traveled like all, every few years somewhere around the world. And it was in 1883 in Amsterdam. And one thing that really struck us about that, we, we just stumbled upon it on Wikipedia looking for inspiration, what to do this game about. And they had exhibitions of entire villages from the Dutch colonies including the people. So they exhibited people from the Dutch Indies, from Indonesia, where the Netherlands had colonies, and they brought them to the Netherlands and exhibited them in kind of a, a human almost, zoo. Yeah. yeah, almost a human zoo-like fashion. And we found it so weird, but also so fascinating think about it in our context. Like, okay, for that time, it was the way for people to experience another culture because they couldn't go there. They didn't have television, didn't have a lot of photography back then. So to see those people, uh, see them in your own city, basically, was their way to experience another culture. But also, 
now we think it's weird to exhibit people in, in like cultural dresses. So we found there to be a very interesting like uh, moral conflict and 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 story over different time uh, that we wanted to do something with. I think there's um, what really struck me about it was the concept of like uh, fundamental otherness between different cultures, but also between different subcultures and and peoples. With of course the circus always being on the periphery of society, uh, being filled with uh, even like back then even more with like the outcasts and people who didn't quite fit in. And having that as an arena to kind of explore this weird space of otherness was, I think, what we initially set out to explore. But we we kind of toned it down uh, during the, the whole process because we found it really difficult to really do that justice and also have it be just an entertaining game, which I believe there's still like thematically a lot of stuff in there that 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 kind of could hit home or, or that really explores some of those uh, subjects. but we didn't want it to be on the foreground as much still. So what you said, uh, having the, the, the big organization at the start, put that forward as kind of like a, a framework for your thoughts of getting into this world and also kind of having it as a disclaimer for, okay, so you're going to read some stuff that is really from a different time. And we wanted it to be ed- educational in that sense. Also kind of educational. We didn't want to lie about, having 1883 be a very clean part of Dutch history or history overall. So it was a very interesting working process, but that, that's where it kind of came from, I think. So we noticed with On Circus Grounds that this felt like a fusion of crime games and escape room style puzzling slash games mixed into one really well. So why did you guys decide to go that route? So um, the, the fact that it's a murder mystery is because it really helped us as a designers to give the players a goal, like an objective. Okay, we just want to give you a clear objective. Who did it? And then uh, after that idea, okay, we're going to make a murder mystery because it's basically clear and sets an easy framework. Then we went off a tangent and 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 created this whole narrative and fictional world, which we really like. We really like the storytelling. So that's where all the narrative came in. I mean, we have a dedicated writer, uh, August, so he created all these bios for these characters and all these backstories and timelines and stuff like that. There were so many points when we had thought of like a great puzzle idea where we just couldn't figure out how to narratively justify it. Like, okay, but why though? Why would they encrypt this in this way? Why would they, outside from like the meta perspective of you want to have a fun game, a certain point it kind of became our own game to like try to find a, a, a justification inside the world of of the game and i think that made it very very difficult to design this <laughs> this particular game it took us about two years that was also including archival research and stuff but it all fed into each other but yeah finding narrative justifications for the puzzles I think that that was the big thing where it, it, it kind of fell into both of those genres as well, because we wanted those escape room kind of puzzles. We really did, but we yeah. also, yeah. We like them. Um, we like escape rooms. We know that in the Netherlands, there are not a lot of mail order puzzling uh, games. Back then, we basically only knew of uh, Defender Mr. Shea from, uh, from Diorama, from Root. 
which has been had been published by them. But Dark Park wasn't there yet when we were making this game. Um, a lot of them, yeah, which are popping up now everywhere. And of course, since the pandemic, uh, every escape room is making a mail has made a mail order mystery game. But back then there weren't any, so we knew we had to tap into the escape room market and escape room players and fan base to actually uh, get this game rolling. So that's also why we really wanted to include some fun puzzles. One thing that I think a lot of people will notice when they open up on Circus Grounds is that this is a crime game, but there are no envelopes to open up, no progression of things that you have to go through. It's just all there. And then you have some questions. I think that's a super interesting format decision. What was going through your heads? Were you intentional about that? Or is that just kind of how the game came to be? Like like what I, what I just said about... Um us having our own little game of, of uh, finding the realism in the puzzles in the game. Realism itself became a big question when designing uh, on Circus Grounds. We thought like, okay, so we've got this main envelope that tells us here you've got an archival dossier from an unsolved mystery uh, from 1883. Why would that be broken up into easily digestible episodes? It should just be a mess and uh, it should be a cold case. It should feel like you can't just solve it or, or work your way through. We we really quickly stuck to this idea of having it be non-linear and having all the documents be little uh, chapters on their own, kind of. I think a big part of it was also the like naivete that came into play. It was the first time we designed something like this and we decided like, well, okay, so what is something we kind of get hung up on when we play games like this? And we're like, okay, so it's this weird problem with realism. Can we just make a game that really gives you the freedom to explore and, and investigate on your own? But we very quickly uh, found out that it was really difficult to make this, uh, to make this work. And at that point, it became a challenge for us. Yeah, to make it solvable, really non-linear. You can uh, approach it from every angle. It, it still has to work. It's up to the players to to connect all the different pieces and, and slowly build the narrative together, but in their own way. And I think that yeah, part of it came from, or yeah, most of it came from, okay, we want to make this as real as possible. We started with uh, the inspiration that I told you about, and we went to think, okay, what what theme can we make? Can we give it to to make it fun? Well, we knew one of our strong suits was the graphic design. Me and Marilyn have a background in in design. We know we can make things beautiful. So, which theme could we give it that has beautiful stuff in it? And then we came uh, to the idea of a circus, and we developed this whole story. And while we were talking about it, we thought, okay, but what do we know about this time period? I didn't know anything about the Victorian age. And slowly we, we researched stuff and we thought, okay, well, there's this medical procedure in, in, in the game. How did they do that in their times? So and we, we went on really deep rabbit holes in Wikipedia and, and, and archives and stuff like that to really make it as authentic as possible. And that became the, the challenge as well, to use real archival documents to see, okay, but what kind of handwriting did they use? Okay, the police, we found out after we had a few iterations of our of our uh, playtests in which we used fingerprints, we found out, okay, the police didn't use fingerprints to 
identify suspects in that time in the Netherlands. I mean, yeah, August is really a Wikipedia and a research junkie, so he, he did all the deep dives. We said, okay, but, and I was always doubting everything, like, okay, but is this real? Was this, is this realistic? Is this correct? Like, and now we feel like we're experts in circuses in Victorian <laughs> age in the Netherlands and handwriting. I, I feel like I can separate photographs from 1900 from photographs from 1883. Like, okay, there's difference in there in clothing and style. Uh, I know all the different fonts from all the different ages and, and time periods. That was fun. Yeah. <laughs> so we went a bit too far maybe on it, but, mm. but I, I think that's, that is what makes our game special. For the audience at home and for the people like myself and Jared here, we very much enjoyed the game and we are very excited to hear about what's in for the future of Studio Stamp. But could you give us a little kind of taste of what's coming? We really dream of having a series of these kinds of uh, games of the same format uh, that you can have on your bookshelf because it kind of feels like a book almost. And having just like a couple of these cases from dossiers from different time periods, that would be like a big dream to have like that. But kind of kind of have that as a kind of like a, a legacy project would be really, really amazing. And we started working on a game that would fit in that in that uh, sequence uh, called Map of Lillian. And we get really excited about it, but we just really couldn't fit it together within a year. And it's it's really difficult to... We, we really tried out some different uh, methods for uh, puzzle making and uh, new art style, of course. And we really just couldn't crack it yet. So that's still somewhere in the pipeline and we're still dreaming of, of having that out, but that could take a couple of years too. Yeah, we're fantasizing about having all kinds of different uh, types of games as well. We really like this, uh, as you said, like marrying narrative and puzzle design. It's something we we really get a kick out of. It really inspires us as well, and just finding new ways to to uh, implement both of them. And we may stray a bit more out of this corner that we've put ourselves in of having all of our games be archival documents, because, uh, like I said, that was kind of our dream, and I'd re really still like to have a couple of those games, but they're probably not going to be the only games that Studio Stamp makes uh, in the future. We just got really excited about different opportunities and different alleyways to get lost in. Even this week, we've been fantasizing about new games. So, yeah, nothing concrete yet. As uh, on the Kickstarter, we've been working on this small sequel to On Circus Grounds called The Final Act. That's been something that's uh, been taking up all of our attention at the moment, trying to make that as best as it can be. And afterwards, then we'll look to the future and just uh, see what uh, what we like to do, I think. And the last question we ask everybody, just because we believe it's so incredibly important for the community to talk about what other games, more talk about other people's games just kind of lifts us all up. What other games have you enjoyed? It can be similar games, video games, board games. What have you been playing lately? We're super interested to see what has inspired you. So we have a big uh, shelf of shame of games that we have to play. There's a lot of great games on there. There's a, Our wishlist is really big of stuff we want. Two, two creators that we really want to shout out are Ruth from Diorama Games. We talked about him or we mentioned him before. Uh, we talked with him a lot. He's really he's, he has been really helpful and a great supporter of us. We really love his games. We, they really inspired us, and he's a great designer and uh, has all this attention to detail that we love. And we want to give a shout out to Rita from um, 
Post-Curious. Yeah, she really helped us as well. She did some shout outs for us for this uh, campaign, which really boosted our, uh, uh, really helped us reach uh, some awesome stretch goals. And she has been very helpful as well and is a great part of the community. But also her her games were a big inspiration. Uh, We played Tale of Ord while we were uh, designing on Circus Grounds. And we were just blown away by the elegance of it. Just the the way you kind of naturally flow from puzzle to puzzle or within like a thematic framework that was really inspiring to to just get a taste of that that world and knowing that it's really possible and that that you can really make something that's just amazing to have even not even to play but just to have it and to to know it's somewhere on your bookshelf like an artifact that's something that really also inspired us like the 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 experience of just receiving such a game and knowing there's all these kinds of secrets in it. I think Tale of Ord and, and also Emerald, Emerald Flame does a really great job of really transporting you into this um, into this arena and just, yeah, getting lost in a world and full of puzzles. We want to play all the greats. Uh, we have played uh, uh, Witch Reach Bell from Dark Park. Mm-hmm. They're Dutch, of course, so the shipping is not as, as much for us. So we knew we had to get in on that. And um, we love that as well. Very inspiring. With all, uh, I really liked what they did with all the uh, websites, different feels, and the storytelling, and the the narrative flow you go through, the journey it takes you on with the music and uh, the different parts of the story. I really like that. Also, something that uh, we've been talking about a lot, just because of the sheer simplicity of it, is uh, micro macro. I don't know if, if you have the same name for it in uh, in America, but it's it's just a very again very elegant, but in a totally different way. It's very minimalist. Just yeah, it's it's a crime scene top down Waldo. Where's Waldo? Yeah. Kind of game. Uh, the childlike wonder and experience of just following a story, and that that's great. I mean, our our game on Circus Grounds has quite a lot of text compared to other games. We know there's a lot of reading to do because we really like the storytelling and we feel like sometimes we need all the words to draw someone in the story. And then we played Micro Macro and we were like, wait, there's a lot of storytelling in this and there's not a word. We should be learning from this game. So, yeah, very inspirational to try to marry those together. Well, we've been really blessed and and grateful for all, all the support for our Kickstarter. It's it's great to see how the community really picks it up even though we haven't put out anything before so yeah that's that's just great all the trust uh, we get from people and i mean i guess we we have some track record in the netherlands but that doesn't mean that international people will like it so we we know we are a much larger pond now with a lot of more great uh, great games out there i guess time will tell how we stack up and and, and i guess we really want to thank thank everyone who's part of the journey so far right absolutely yeah yeah it's it's been it's been kind of touching having all these people comment on the on the kickstarter page and having this what i was kind of afraid that we would lose in going internationally is um just having this kind of direct feedback line with your customers because the netherlands is such a small country and we were such a small business that we could really afford to just yeah just have email contact with everybody who played the game kind of but I don't I don't feel as if we're losing it. I feel as if we're kind of upgrading that experience in uh being part of these 
online communities and yeah, just getting to meet new people who are also enthusiastic about playing games and, and mysteries and stuff. So yeah, that's that's really inspiring as well. Oh, yeah. we're still live on Kickstarter, right? Uh, as of this record or when this comes comes out. So uh, please check us out. Uh, I guess you'll find us when you search on Circus Crowds on Kickstarter. Our website is uh, studio-stan.com. And there you'll find all the links to all our uh, hilarious social media profiles. <laughs> <laughs> we try to be funny. It's it's <laughs> uh, it's another full-time job to uh, <laughs> maintain social media. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's that's the one knot we just can can crack. <laughs> August and y'all, we just thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for sending us this game. We wish you the best as this Kickstarter finishes up, and it looks like you've already had a lot of success with it already. Yes. Again, as they mentioned, the website is www.studio-stamp. Um, that's where you can find more of your information. If you are one of our listeners that speaks Dutch, you can play this game right now because, as they mentioned, it, this is when they originally created it. But for the rest of us, back the Kickstarter if you can. They may have a few extra copies. And then if not, when this game comes out, probably 2023 with some of their extra copies, be sure to pick it up. Like we said, we think there's a lot to like about this game. Yes. Zach, how can people help us out as our podcast continues into its third season soon. Yeah, so there are many different ways that you can support the podcast. The first one is that you can go to patreon.com slash puzzling company and you can support us on there by becoming a patron. You'll get access to content early. You'll be able to join our Discord, have conversations with Jared I, get some of the games early, the online ones get to play with us as well, and just have a really good time. We'd super appreciate it. You also can go to wherever you listen to this podcast. If that's iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, wherever, you can go there and leave us a five-star review. We would super appreciate it. And the last thing you can do is go to wherever you see us on social media, if that's on Facebook or on Instagram, at Puzzling Company, and follow us there. You can see new content coming in the future. Well, we continue on next week with the final episode of our little mini-series of Triple Threats. We took a nice little break here to help out some wonderful creators with their Kickstarter. And then after that, we're going to be diving into the Halloween season. And we've got some really fun games lined up for that. And the rest of the year, we'll finish out with some other wonderful titles, some Christmas love mm -hmm. and some exciting announcements as we head into 2023. For Jared and Zach, this has been Puzzling Company. We will see you all next time. See you guys. Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Puzzling Company and online at puzzlingcompany.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, keep puzzling. Chip Cassette Studios. This has been Rogue Media Network Podcast.